0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Quarantine. Today we interviewed someone very special, Rosie Couture, who you'll hear about in just a moment. But first, let's begin this episode with one minute of headlines to update you on the world around us. U.S. News. One. Fox News started off this Tuesday by stating Trump says coronavirus crisis will get worse before it gets better, pleads with Americans to wear masks. Two, NPR reported Portland police union leader worries protests can be overshadowed by violent acts. Three, earlier today, The Hill claimed Biden says four black women on, are on VP list, won't commit to choosing one. World News. One. Vox informed readers about what Alexander Hamilton has to do with the EU's $850 billion coronavirus stimulus plan. 2. The Guardian published, China hackers sought to seal coronavirus vaccine research, says the US, which, like last week, they reported that, it was Chi- uh, that Russians were doing that too. So, sounds like there's lots of competition, even though we should all just be collaborating. 3. CBS News discussed how Greta Thunberg pledges to donate 1 million euros in prize money. Business news. One, avoid airline stocks, Trader says, as United Airlines reports $1.6 billion loss, claimed CNBC. Science news. According to Live Science, here's why the United Arab Emirates launched a mission to Mars. Oh boy, we're doing it. (laughs) Wonder if we're going to have another space race. Anywho, other news. And finally, CNBC informed us that World Health Organization applauds Oxford coronavirus vaccine data. It is good news. I have been waiting to hear those words for far too long. (laughs) Now, let's jump into the episode with our ads. I decided I wanted to make the interview like nonstop, just consistent flowing. So uh, just sit through the two ads and then enjoy the rest of the episode completely interruptionless. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our amazing sponsors, Knockback. Knockback is a creative video game designed for one to four people in which you attempt to get rid of zombies. As the owner says it, Knockback is a physics sandbox that challenges you to ask yourself, how many ways can I destroy the zombies? Go ahead, play with fire. Throw them into a building or smash them with a log rolling down a hill. Want to suck the zombies into a tight ball and zap them with lightning? You can do that. Rain down sticky stones of fire onto their heads? Got you covered. Hit him with a giant rolling stone that bowls down on the baddies? Go for it. Knockback is a wonderful game that my family has enjoyed learning about during its creation process. It's truly exciting to play and experiment with. Plus, it is always developing and changing. Knockback is an early access game, so you're encouraged to watch it grow. It runs smoothly and is always being updated to add new components that may spark your interest. One thing that's really cool, I think, is just that the creativity, there's like no limits. And I think that's a really important, um, just part of a video game is you want to not have your creativity stifled and knockback does a great job of not doing that. So now get out there and stick a snail snot rock onto an unsuspecting zombie chin. Visit their Facebook page at knockback game that's spelled K N O C K B A C K game G A M E. Uh, sure hope you know how to spell that and install Knockback now at Steam's store, and that that link will be in the description box below. Thank you, and go check out this wonderful game and opportunity. Alright, here we go. Enjoy the episode. This is Rosie Kator, the co-founder and currently the executive director of Generation Modify. I am Rosie
1: Kator. I am a 16-year-old rising junior, Um, in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the executive director of Generation Ratify. Um, And I guess a little bit about me, I was originally born in Florida, and I lived there for some time, and then I moved to Georgia, and I lived there um, for also, for like about six years and in Florida seven. Um, And in Georgia, I think, I guess that is where I started. I started with political activism.
0: Rosie began to get involved in political activism after Trump's election.
1: You know, everybody says Trump's election that was kind of an eye opener, and I think that that was also for me as I was um, 12, I think, when he was first uh, put in office. And I it was actually my birthday when I went on an overnight bus to D.C. for the Women's March from Georgia, um, and that was really my first time getting involved in activism, really in any way. And just kind of from there, I um, was kind of like a jump on the bandwagon, go to some protests here and there, um, call my representatives every now and then. Um, but it really wasn't until the end of my freshman year of high school when I had, um, I moved to Virginia when I was about 13, um, so the end of middle school. And it wasn't until the end of my high school year, um, when, uh, my freshman high school year, when I really started to get more involved in organizing. Um, and really the first thing that I got involved was with March for Our Lives.
0: March for Our Lives is a student-led organization aiming to legislate gun control due to all of the school shootings.
1: Um, And I had done some community organizing. You know, I organized my school's walkout in middle school, um, and I organized my school's walkout when I was also a freshman in high school. But at the end of freshman year, I became a state director of March for Our Lives for Virginia, and this was really my first role that I took. Um, as an organizer in the youth activism space and I absolutely loved it and I still work with March Fair Lives. I'm still the state director for Virginia. Um, And then it was at the end of that summer when I first started, the end of the summer before going into sophomore year, uh, when I
0: started Generation Ratify. Generation Ratify is a youth-led organization in support of the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. I asked Rosie what her responsibilities were along with the relationship between Generation Modify and the ERA.
1: As executive director, my job um, is to like oversee everyone. um, And I oversee our national team and I oversee our chapter network and our regional organizing directors. Um, Really my job is, I love my job and I want to take it for the world. Um, It is not necessarily the job where I get to be taking action all the time. It is more having one-on-one check-ins with people, um, doing a lot of like data entry and development stuff, figuring out financial things and figuring out what the heck a fiscal sponsor is um, and developing an organization in that way. So really as executive director, it is more like managerial um, stuff and not necessarily all the fun stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I do get to do um, my own projects sometimes. And I think one of my favorite parts of my job is overseeing, Our policy team, I work directly with our federal affairs leads who work on everything federal, government, um, such as um, like Congress and legislative advocacy and also working in the courts. And that has been really fun um, for me, especially because I'm such a policy nerd.
0: (laughs) So you may be wondering, why would Rosie choose this? What sparked her interest specifically in the Equal Rights Amendment?
1: It was the middle of my freshman year, so about a year and a half ago, I was looking through legislation that was being proposed in the Virginia General Assembly. And that's when I came across this resolution to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. I was like, equal rights. Um, I vibe with it. And then I, (laughs) I checked it out. um, And then I was like, wait, how is this not a thing? Are you really telling me that as a woman, I am not fully protected under our constitution. I was so confused. um, Especially I just lived a life of, privilege and i could not imagine that i wasn't even included in the constitution yeah um so that was like my moment of holy crap okay um and then it was immediately why is nobody talking about this why do kids not know about this and this was also like um after trump's election and after march for our lives you really Mm -hmm. saw the youth activism space grow and i was like why is nobody doing this? Um, So I started talking with some friends. um, And then there was actually this effort going on in Virginia called VA Ratify ERA. Um, And I kind of when I got involved with advocacy around ratifying ERA was already the end of the Virginia General Assembly, which is our state legislature, which meets for not enough time at all. So by the time I, I got involved, it was already too late um, that time around. Um, and then it was really summertime. And with our election coming up in Virginia, we had an anti-ERA majority in our state legislature. So the 2019 election was so critical for us. And that's kind of how I started to get involved, was advocating for pro-ERA candidates.
0: But why necessarily is the ERA still necessary in modern times? This is a question I asked Rosie next
1: there are still so many inequities in our country and there's gender inequality is just so prevalent and uh, just all ways and in so many different capacities in our country and I think when I get asked this question I like to specifically relate it to young people because I think that is what is easy for us to understand is like how is it impacting our lives mm-hmm. um and just girls and LGBTQIA plus youth. And I think it's also important to recognize that the Equal Rights Amendment um, is for all genders and that includes people beyond the gender binary and that also includes boys and men. Um, But I think one specific area we can bring it to is education Um, and our access to a meaningful education remains hindered um, and just access to opportunity remains hindered um, because of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and these archaic gender-based stereotypes, and even the inability to access necessary menstrual hygiene products. Yeah, uh, And the ERA will work to combat all those inequities. So when you hear about the tampon tax or... We see Betsy DeVos is stripping our Title IX protections, um, or we see that the Supreme Court is always debating whether we have a right to an abortion or a right to choose what we want to do with our bodies. Mm -hmm. We see all these times our rights are just up for debate, and as young people, this is directly impacting our access to education and and to opportunities. And as we grow into young adults, it's going to start impacting our jobs and when we go to college. Um, So, and I think it is honestly more relevant than ever now as we've seen with this administration just how many how how it is even a question in our senate that if we can pass legislation to address the pay gap that's insane who does not support closing the pay gap Mm -hmm. and just that the pay gap exists in general um I mean that's one reason for the ERA alone (laughs) um but yeah and I think a lot of people have this um Impression that gender equality exists um, because there are different pieces of legislation that work to close the pay gap or to protect women and other marginalized and all marginalized genders. Um, but the fact is, those are like band-aids on this bullet wound, um, and they show off this like, oh yes, we are fighting for women, when they're really not doing us any favors except prevent, like, presenting this false reality. <laughs>
0: Backtracking a bit, I asked Rosie how the creation process and the expansion process has taken place for Generation Ratify.
1: I created it the summer before my sophomore year, and it's actually, we are hitting the one-year anniversary this Wednesday, which is super exciting. Um, Yeah, honestly, it was such a whirlwind start, and I don't really know how it got (laughs) so big either. Um, But I know last summer, when I was trying to plug into this ERA advocacy, I just really felt that there wasn't a space for young organizers and young activists to really plug into this work, um, in a meaningful way and an effective way. Um, and I also, I think it's important to recognize that the ERI movement is definitely, I mean, it's a fight that's been going on for literally a hundred years yeah. and the, what is such strong, especially in the seventies and those people that are fighting in the seventies are not young women anymore. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of the ERA movement are people who are older, um, uh, And I think there was just no, or I don't think there was just no outlet for young people who were a little bit more radical, a little bit more open-minded, and a little bit more inclusive to really plug into the work Mm -hmm. um, to ratify the ERA. So that was kind of my thought process when first starting Generation Ratify. Uh, And I had actually started a Women's March chapter a couple months before, um, which I'm glad I still do not... um, still not a Women's March chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just, we we're originally going to like do a project around the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and then it just turned out to turn into an organization. But I remember one day specifically, I brought my friend Blaine, who is also mm-hmm. a the co-founder. co-founder. Um, yeah, who's also a co-founder. We were like in this library and I was like, yo, I have this idea. Do you think like we can make this work? And then she was like, yeah, let's do it. And then it kind of just started – in that public library, that one fateful day, <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of just grown from there. A lot of it in the beginning was organizing in my community and in Arlington. Um, so as I was saying, it was a very critical time for Virginia because we were on the cusp of a pro-ERA majority. And although I, the ERA is a bipartisan issue, there's bipartisan support we knew that in Virginia we really needed a Democrat majority if we were going to pass this. Yeah. So it, there was a huge push in Virginia, and also other issues that were on the ballot were gun violence prevention and healthcare and these other progressive issues that were so important. So all eyes were on Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. And we did, we did flip our legislature, um, and now we have a very fresh and fragile Democratic majority, which is awesome. But really back then in the summer, it was really about how can we plug in to help get this majority and advocate for these pro URA candidates. Um, and I'm kind of in a blue bubble, um, a Democrat mm-hmm. bubble in Virginia. And so is uh, everybody else in my community. So it was really about us getting to canvas and organize for people that like lived an hour away from us. So in the beginning it was like, how are we going to like rent buses and like pay for transportation? How are we going to organize people to go on canvas? What can we do a phone banking party? And it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And before we knew it, it was just kind of, starting to gain more interest from people in different parts of Virginia. Um, and then after the election, we started to really shift focus over. Once we got a prior majority, we started to shift focus over to Congress and removing the deadline because that was the next step. And it is still is, is the step that we have to take now. <laughs> yeah. Um, is removing this deadline. And then from there to started to gain more national interest and just started to kind of expand from there. And um, I was, just I think being in the right place at the right time with the right people. Uh, There's so many incredible people that have been working on this to expand it.
0: So Generation Modify may be a new name to you but they've been doing a lot since their founding one year ago tomorrow.
1: Like what are some concrete things that we've done and then also what like kind of how we've just shifted the conversation which I think is what I am most proud of is just the fact that there were really no young people involved and now we have over 2,500 members, um, and they're all young people and they're all working to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And we've really just built this community of organizers that are shifting the conversation to be about abortion and to be about, um, protecting and fighting for rights of the transgender community and people who are non-binary and fighting because also, uh, and we've seen with this recent Supreme Court cases, um, discrimination on the basis of sexuality is a subset of gender-based discrimination. So the ERA is directly fighting for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And I think providing this outlet for young people has really been able to push that conversation because it's really important to recognize that you can ratify an amendment into the constitution, but then you have to fight for what it really means because it's up to the Supreme court then to interpret. Um, So just opening up that conversation and pushing that conversation and creating an outlet for youth is, I think our biggest accomplishment overall, but when it comes to um, kind of more metrics and things that we've done, um, we have, oh gosh, I'm not even gonna say the number. I think we have 12 state directors um, from 11 different states. Um, And we recently just onboarded regional organizing directors. So now we have organizers working in every state across the country. And we have um, over 50 chapters that are organizing for the ERA in their communities. Um, and we have a national team of around 20 people who are also working to execute national advocacy initiatives. Um, so we've really, like, built up this structure. Um, and we've had hundreds of thousands of contacts for pro-ERA candidates, especially in the past couple months. We've made close to 500,000 contacts, uh, voter contacts um, for senators and um, key races for pro-ERA senators that are going up against Republican um, anti-ERA incumbents, um, which is really exciting. And we've really, I think, another big area we've made a lot of progress is specifically with our legislative advocacy. Back in February, we had a lobby day on Capitol Hill where we brought over 60 people and we met with all these senators talking to them about the ERA. Um, and we actually did bring on two more con- co-sponsors onto the ERA, um, which was really exciting for us. And that, yeah, that was a really big That's deal awesome. because we were just pushing for these final... Democrats to get on for it, um, and also try to push some Republicans. Um, but and we've continued this legislative advocacy through um, through the summer, and we have our virtual lobby day coming up, in which we we'll, we have dozens of meetings again. Um, but yeah, I'm lobbying. Yeah. Oh, you're lobbying. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Am. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm really excited about it. I'm also lobbying.
0: Um, yeah.
1: It'll be super awesome, but I think really just the most, the biggest thing that we've done is really just changing the conversation and building this infrastructure for youth to organize around the Equal Rights Amendment.
0: I hope you remember the name Kate Kelly because it's very relevant here. She works with the Equal Rights Amendment in, like, you know, adult stuff. So she also helps Generation Ratify. So I asked Rosie about her. Kate Kelly
1: is my favorite person in the world, especially in the ERA community. Um, I think what I love so much about Kate Kelly is that she is just so supportive of young people and is so supportive of taking an intersectional approach to gender equality. Because if you're not fighting for everyone, it's not worth fighting for. Um, And I think that a lot of other ERA activists do not necessarily value that as much, Um, and that can be seen in the way that some people organize or advocate for the ERA. So I think from the beginning, and for, like, purposes of the ERA community, Kate Kelly is a young person. Um, she is older than I am, um, and she is an adult, but she is young for the ERA movement. Um, yeah. And she has really just been the, like a supporter from the beginning for us, and she has been so incredible. Um, I remember she when she first reached out to, I believe she reached out to us from Equality Now, um, which is this international um, women's rights organization. Um, and she was working for them as a human rights attorney, um, And she reached out to us, and this was, like, a few months after we were founded, and this was, like, huge for us. We're like, oh, my gosh, somebody from Equality Now is reaching out to us. And we were just starstruck. And then we were on this call with her, and she was talking to us about, like, doing all these things with us, helping us um, just get education materials in place. But at this point, it was like she wasn't even doing this on, like, behalf of Equality Now. She was just genuinely wanting to help us, which Mm -hmm. was she was the first person who had done that for us i like, the first person who was really there for us. Um, and we've just continued um, that relationship, and we call her our ERA mom. Um, <laughs> and she's, like, our adult advisor for Generation Ratify, which basically means I, like, go running to her if I have questions. i like, what is a 501c4, and how do you even file as that? Or um, <laughs> just, like, other random things. And she knows everything about the ERA, literally yeah. everything. So you can ask her anything, and she'll know. Um, and she's also helped us a lot to organize events like we had her come on a webinar the other week about law school, um, and that was really helpful um, and she is also she was heavily involved um, in helping us with our advocacy in the courts and writing our amicus brief um, for this court case so she 's also like our attorney advisor and helps us with that kind of stuff, and when we don't have somebody who's over 18 who can sign on to some legal documents, she's always there for us. So she really is our eerie mom, and she's really uh, been such a rock for us and really helped us get to where we are today.
0: Your ears may have picked up the term intersectional, but what does that mean? What is intersectionality? Oh gosh,
1: intersectionality. Um, I think intersectionality is just understanding that Every identity and oppression of different of people of different identities, it all comes together and it all fits in together. I think that all issues, whether it be like climate justice or racial equity or uh, workers' rights or immigrants' rights, those all fit in with one another and they all fit into gender equality. And you have to understand that all those inequities and oppression against different groups, those are inextricably linked. Um, mm-hmm. So I think and I know that can sometimes be hard to understand because you're like, how does climate change affect women or yeah. um, how does like climate change, how, how does that tie into racial justice? But then like you learn about redlining and you learn about how women across the world are on the front lines of like facing the effects of climate change. So I think intersectionality is just understanding that all issues fit into each other and that um, oppression of different groups of people based on like their um, different identities they have are all linked together. And I think it is so important to understand that and take that into consideration when you are fighting for something, especially as broad as gender equality, Mm -hmm. you have to fight for everyone and you're not fighting for everyone. If you aren't taking action and showing up for the intersections of gender equality. And I think kind of taking intersectionality and then focusing just on like the intersections, you think of like intersection, that is where things cross. So you yeah. think like the intersection of gender equality and immigrants rights. And I do, I could not even really pull on the intersections uh, <laughs> that gender equality has with all other different issues. Um, but it's so, it's important to understand that and then fight for everyone. Um, yeah. And especially like um, with gender equality specifically, I say this as a white woman, um, well, I, I am a white woman, but I'm also a queer woman. I think that has a lot to do with like how I identify and like some of the different um, oppression that I face and like the sexism and homophobia that I face uh, It's going to be very different than like a woman of color or a queer woman of color um, or somebody who is non-binary. Um, uh, everybody just has all these different identities and they are oppressed and are going through, or just systemically oppressed in all different ways, and just have to fight for everyone. Um, That was very rambled. I do not think anybody can really perfectly define (laughs) intersectionality, or I'm sure, I'm sure somebody can, probably Angela Davis, because she's a queen, I'm sure, I'm sure she has a speech where she beautifully defines it.
0: As a matter of fact, Angela Davis does have a speech on black feminism and intersectionality from 2006. That will be linked in the description and show notes below, but... I just said below like a youtuber but i will quickly read and recap some one thing that she said that i really really liked the point is that feminism embraced by scholars and activists like Audre Lorde or Chandra Motan or Jackie Alexander as a feminism that incorporates a commitment to think what is otherwise considered to be disparate, to think that these ideas together, to think these ideas together, to think race and class and gender and sexuality, not separately, but together to think about them as cross-cutting, as intersectional. And that describes to me what anyone who considers herself or himself to be progressive during these times ought to be able to do. Now back to the episode. Um, The next question I asked her was related to the organization system within Generation Ratify because they have a lot going on. So how do they manage that and how did they manage to get to that stage?
1: That uh, is something that we are always working on and how we can be as organized as possible and be functioning as, well as we can. Um, I would say we are a pretty well-oiled machine, um, but (laughs) it took us a long time to get there, and there are still kinks that we are always working out. But um, how we are structured is that um, I'm the executive director of Generation Ratify, so I kind of oversee everything, um, and Blaine is the associate director, um, and she oversees a lot too. I directly supervise um, five departments on our national team, and Blaine supervises um, two departments on our national team. I specifically do content, our content team, our creative team, our outreach team, our federal affairs team, and our organizing team. Um, and then Blaine oversees our finance team and our public relations team. Um, so we directly supervise them and then some of those people have committees. So I think it's also kind of about putting in layers of like who is responsible for who and who reports to who, mm-hmm. um. But with our national team, I think that definitely comes easier because there's not as many people. um, And it's easier to make those one-on-one connections. And we all do really work heavily together. We have weekly calls all together with our whole national team, and then we have one-on-ones, one-on-one calls throughout the week as well. So there's always consistent communication happening, and there's really clearly defined roles, and everybody knows who they're supervising and who's supervising them, um, which I think is super important. and I think when it comes to our chapter network, um, that is definitely, I think where things get tricky because there are, that is just so many people, <laughs> so many people to supervise. Um, and this is definitely, our chapter network is something that we've been playing around with a lot in the structure like how to best supervise them. And we, as I was saying earlier, we just recently onboarded regional organizing directors. So we split the country up into seven regions. We have the Southeast, the Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, central, southwest, midwest, and west coast, and I think I got all of them, and I hope I didn't repeat any of them, (laughs) Um, but we have people, um, those people who oversee their whole region, that means they oversee state directors, and then those state directors then oversee chapters, and those chapter, chapter leads, and then those chapter leads directly oversee their chapter members, so it's definitely like a very you oversee this person who oversees this person who oversees this person. And it it's definitely a very fragile system. Um, it is not perfect. And sometimes things get out of hand, but it has been working for us so far. Um, and it used to be that Blaine and I would supervise the state directors, but that became too many state directors to really supervise and fully give our time to. So now we have those regional organizing directors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say the key to staying organized though for us is just consistent communication Um, and radical transparency and really working to build relationships with people and having clearly defined roles.
0: For a youth-led organization or really just any organization but one especially led by youth who don't have any you know certifications or whatever yet organization isn't an easy thing but how have the roles developed over time specifically Rosie's role? Well my role has changed so much
1: um, from a year ago And I would say also just Generation round and kind of what we do as a whole has changed so much. Definitely in the beginning, it was very much, I was like a chapter lead kind of role. I was kind of performing the role of like what a chapter lead would do, especially when it was just really in my community and in Arlington. Um, I was organizing canvassing. I was organizing phone banking parties. I was like going to Dunkin' Donuts, like pick up donuts for my chapter at school. It was very much like I am kind of the sole organizer of some of like some kids at my school and in my community and I was going to help them um organize um to or I was going to help all of us organize and kind of facilitate that so that we could create change in our community but when it started to grow um when it started to grow that's when things really started changing and from the beginning we didn't always really have that leadership team um that kind of started to develop and um, more of a month into it, um, and it first started out with having, um, like, a communications director or, like, somebody who oversees social media. We had our creative director, and we had, like, a finance director. And that is, like, all that we had. And we just started kind of going, and I was – I've always been more of a policy person, so I was kind of acting as, like, the policy director who was also, like, kind of overseeing people. Um, but then as time got on, as we got bigger and bigger, a lot of my job became overseeing other people, helping with overall development um, and just really helping to support other people in their work as opposed to really organizing or doing anything myself. And I would say it is even more so that now than it ever was before. I think Um, because at this point we had expanded our national team a few months ago, Um, but at this point, all of our directors are fully onboarded. They're in their groove and they're like doing their own thing. Um, Definitely as we kind of bring on new people, I, do their job some with them, and have to like kind of pick up tasks that I'm like I wouldn't normally do. Just like help that person transition in um, for the first couple months or so. But at this point, I really just I'm like when I might want to check-ins with my directors and with the regional organizing directors, and I see how I can support them. And then I hop on some other random calls. I kind of deal with coalition partners, and I get to do all of that fun, um, boring stuff at the same time. <laughs> so. Um, it has definitely changed a lot from, like, um, a local organizer role, kind of like field, almost like a field organizer
0: role, to um, a much more executive directory role. Yeah. At this point, you might be wondering, overall, did they host any events? Because, you know, most places, most organizations that are fighting for change are going to be taking action. But how has COVID-19 impacted Generation Ratifies events?
1: Kind of when COVID came is when we really started to expand. Starting like February, March is when we actually started to, or I think really March, um, when we had onboarded our new outreach director, Her and her name is Ashlyn. That's the kind of like when Generation Ratify really started expanding our chapter network. So it was very interesting because by the time we had to start expanding our network, we were online for COVID-19. And I would say that our team transitioned over, pretty quickly. But I think with that in mind, there wasn't really much to transition over. We were Mm -hmm. already having like digital calls and we had people from all across the country on our team. So everything, a lot of things were digital already. Um, The things that were in person were our chapters and our states who were like organizing events. Um, But even then, like, as I was saying, when we really started having our chapter network, on when we started growing our topic network it was really all in this digital space so I think the transition to in-person might be harder than it was to get online <laughs> um but yeah so with that said um with COVID-19 we've been doing a lot of zoom calls um we have a wide array of events and all of our directors kind of work on different things um right now what we have going on is a webinar series called a seat at the table which is all about introducing young people to different careers and um, activism and an organizing and like I said we had Kate Kelly come on and talk about law school. This upcoming week we have a really cool one on um, um, on working for congressional members both on Capitol Hill and in district and then after that we have one on lobbying and those the next two are entirely young people who are high school college aged um, who have these professional jobs and um, so we've been doing like a lot of those kinds of series. We're also working on a couple other webinar series. Especially, we were working with um, some female directors and filmmakers um, working on a series called um, Mrs. America, or working on the series on Mrs. America, which was the ERA television show um, on Hulu, which was. I thought it was great. It was definitely, like, kind of a shock to the ERA community because there's a lot of things that people really didn't like about how everything was portrayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as somebody who did not live in the 70s, I really liked it. Um, (laughs) I don't really know much different. Um, So we've had a lot of opportunities to do these webinars. um, And we've also done um, different, like, organizing programs. We had an ERA boot camp that was eight weeks long, really teaching everyone about the ERA, how to organize around it, why it's so important, talking about the election, legislative advocacy, and we're doing a new organizing program that actually just launched today called our Equal Rights Cohort, um, and it's all about advocacy around federal legislation and also Senate candidates um, that are pro-ERA, or Congress um, candidates for um, Congress, so both the House and the Senate, um, in battleground races, um, where we need to elect pro-ERA candidates. Um, and it's also through that program, people are going to learn how to organize their own Lobby Day. Um, so we are, which is another thing we're having, which is our Lobby Days we've already talked about. Um, and we we want to start doing more things like that Lobby Day because we think it is such a unique opportunity to really make lo- lobbying and lobbying on Capitol Hill um, accessible because it's all in a virtual space. So we've been doing those organizing programs, having webinar series, and um, we've been doing some different workshops we had like an op-ed workshop the other week I went
0: to that one um,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <It's> <laughs> yeah. good.
1: awesome I'm so glad to hear it um yeah um we're, they were actually like that and also just like some fun events um we had like a trivia night and like a slumber party um so we've been doing a right away a wide array of things and a lot of phone banking um for different pieces of legislation and also especially like as an organization and our responsibility to show up for black lives and take action for black lives. Um, we've been doing a lot of phone banking around demanding justice for Breonna Taylor, George Floyd and advocating for legislation that is uh, um, regarding racial equity or um, regarding um, police reform. Um, so we've been doing uh, quite a lot of things it sounds and like
0: it. Uh, a wide array of them too. <laughs> So Generation Ratify is clearly a very, very well thought through oiled machine. But what is their ultimate goal?
1: Our ultimate goal is to provide a space for young people to plug into the fight to ratify the Equal Rights Movement to our constitution and to just advance gender equality in our country. Um, And by doing this, we want to push the conversation to be more intersectional and really fight for everyone and bring up the issues that people often kind of, you know, um, like sweep under the rug Mm -hmm. um, and try to ignore, like abortion, as I was saying earlier, is a big thing that I think people leave out of the conversation. Um, And fighting for that the Equal Rights Amendment, it really is for all genders because there's legal precedent that says it's for all genders as we saw in the 19th Amendment um, with the word sex, how it applied to all genders. so I would say that, first and foremost, providing an outlet for young people to engage in this fight, uh, to bring young people into this fight, and then I think by, by nature, just having young people in this fight, we're going to be pushing for a more inclusive conversation and really push for this future that includes people of all genders and fights for all aspects of gender equality.
0: While the Equal Rights Amendment is Generation Ratify's ultimate you know, focus on everything, I was wondering what would they do If that was added to the Constitution, what would their next steps be?
1: Once we ratify the equal rights amendment into our Constitution, that is just the beginning of the fight. Because once it's in the Constitution, then we have to really fight to execute it and fight to see what it's actually going to do for us. Um, Because the thing about amendments is that they're ratified into the Constitution and then... They are still up for interpretation by the Supreme Court. Um, Supreme Court has all decisions, to, <laughs> all its decisions to kind of make a uh, make around it, see how it um, is enforced or applied in different aspects of the law. Um, so we have to continue to fight to always make sure the Equal Rights Amendment really stands and fights for all that it is supposed to fight for. Um, and the Equal Rights Amendment, I believe, is the biggest step that we can take towards gender equality in our country. But there is still so much progress and so much work to be made. So there's still gonna be so much to fight for, even regarding like just other pieces of legislation, um, but also just to fight for in communities and, and the local level and in states. There's so much work to do specifically in regards to like legislation and kind of changing our laws, but also in changing our culture and finding, and like fighting for menstrual equity. Yeah. Um, and like getting people to even put like menstrual products in their schools or um, hold, hold sexual abusers accountable in their communities and just help empower people, young women and people who identify um, beyond the gender binary. Um, so kind of to that, Generation Ratify is here for the long haul. We are not going to dissolve once the equal rights is out of the Constitution because that is just the beginning. But and I think we've already started to do this as well, is really fighting for other areas of gender equality, especially the ones that we think could be, like, not addressed by the Equal Rights Amendment or just need to really have conversation and fight around them so that once the Supreme Court does have to make a decision about the ERA or see, like, how it will apply to a certain court
0: case, that we ensure that we are fighting for the conversation to go there. You may have heard Rosie earlier mentioning an amicus brief they recently filed. But my question was, what the heck is that?
1: Amicus briefs and this whole ordeal with us in the court has been such a learning experience for me. And I don't, I've never even like met a kid who could say like, yeah, this is what an amicus brief is. But essentially (laughs) amicus briefs are legal documents that are filed in court cases by outside parties with a strong interest in this subject. Um, And these briefs advise the court of relevant additional information or arguments that the court uh, might wish to consider. Um, And so Generation Ratify believes that in the fight for the ERA, a fight that has been going on for nearly a century, it is so critical to amplify youth voices. Um, So we wanted to file this amicus brief and make sure that the voice of young people was voiced um, in this court case um, because we knew that that wasn't going to come from anyone else. (laughs) Uh, And we, just Generation Ratify, and an amicus brief, brief is very it's very rare for young people to file it. And the only other instance I know, and I'm sure there are a couple more, but, well, actually I'm not sure, I don't know, but I know March for Our Lives filed one in a court case last year. Um, But the courts have always been super inaccessible to young people. So it was really important that we really found a way to get our voices heard in this. And by filing this brief, we want to elevate the conversation and focus on communities that need the amendment the most and empower young people to carry this fight forward. Um, Our brief was the only brief that used gender-neutral language, or what it it was one of the only briefs, if not the only brief, to use gender-neutral language. Um, And I think that goes into the conversation uh, the, the bigger conversation of how a lot of people kind of dismiss the era to be just about women when in fact it is for people of all gender so we were one of the only briefs if not the only brief to include that gender neutral language um but more importantly our brief really focused on what impact this is going to have on young people mostly focusing on education and access to opportunity um but yeah so amicus briefs legal documents that are filed in court cases Um, by outside parties or organizations that want to ensure that their voices are heard.
0: There was lots of connections having to be made in order to file this amicus brief. So I asked Rosie about how they went about filing an amicus brief as a youth-led organization.
1: I think there is no one way for somebody to kind of go about getting an amicus brief if you're young because you're not somebody with a law degree, so you can't ever really take it on yourself. And a lot of organizations with young people don't, have like attorneys or legal teams um that are about actually like fighting in the courts (laughs) um so specifically for generation ratify what it looked like for us is that we were already and through our advocacy in the virginia general assembly to ratify the equal rights amendment we were already connected with um government officials in virginia so we were specifically Connected with the Attorney General's Office of Virginia, who was one of the plaintiffs in the court case, along with Nevada and Illinois. Um, But we were kind of lucky enough to have that connection. And then from there, we were asked if we wanted to file an amicus brief. And we were like, yeah, let's go. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, So... It was, it was kind of an, I don't, I wouldn't say this opportunity like fell in our lap, but it was definitely something that people were actively reaching out to us for. Um, and then from there, we were connected with a law firm, Covington and Burling. Um, and we were connected with some amazing lawyers from that team, especially Lord Moxley, who was so incredible, who helped us every step of the way, who um, and this firm actually helped us write our amicus brief. Um And they were super awesome. There's a lot of, like, legal language and fanciness in the amicus brief. Um, And that's where they helped us. But they were really awesome about working with us. We had multiple phone calls to talk about what we wanted, what we wanted this amicus brief to convey, what are some of the ideas and talking points that we really wanted to include. Um, And then from there, we got our first draft. And then there were more calls about um, what can we improve on? Was there anything left out? but I would say normally um, a lot of adult organizations have kind of designated legal people that, like, take this on. I know another big organization, ERA Coalition, they have um, a, a kind of an attorney, lawyer person. Her name is Linda Coverley. She is really awesome, um, who kind of helped facilitate that whole process for them. So usually people are connected in some way, but that was kind of our Generation Ratify amicus story of how we got involved in it.
0: If you want to write an amicus brief, I recommend you're at the right place at the right time with the right people. If you want to read Generation Ratify's amicus brief, you can listen to this segment and Rosie will tell you more about where to find it.
1: Yeah, so you should head over to our website, which is just generationratify.org. And we have a page that is super clear. There is like a menu bar on the top of our page and it says our amicus brief. Um, And you can go there and you can see the actual thing and read it if you want, but it also breaks it down, it talks about what the court case is, um, what an amicus brief is, why we're filing it, and also some different ways to kind of take action around it. Um, And also just like breaking down our amicus brief and like what we included and why we included it. Um, And our creative team actually has some really awesome graphics that they made around it. But head over to our website and you'll see it once you get there.
0: (laughs) All right, you've made it this far. So how can you get involved?
1: I can't vote myself, um, but there are still so many ways you can get involved, even if you can't vote. And if you can vote, vote, vote for pro-ERA candidates, know who you're voting for. Um, Don't necessarily think like Democrat, Republican, research your candidates um, and hold your candidates accountable and hold your legislators accountable regardless of if they are pro or anti-ERA. But and if you can't vote. I'm in the same boat as you. There are still so many things that you can do. Um, you are still a constituent to your lawmakers. Your lawmakers are still accountable to you and they still serve you regardless of if you vote for them or not. So we can still take so many steps to advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment and other gender equality legislation, um, in which you can also find like all the different things you can advocate for in the different ways you can. On our website, this can include calling representatives, calling other people to call their representatives, um, writing letters, writing emails, um, signing petitions, all information, like how to best go about that in all the different ways, um, are on our website. Um, and also right now, as we are heading into this critical election, we know that we have to elect, um, a pro erie majority and honestly, a Democrat majority to our Senate if we want to see the deadline get removed in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done around the election, and we also have um, that also on our website. Um, we call it just our Electrical Rights Campaign. We did this last year in Virginia and are doing it on a much bigger scale this year, and we already have around 500,000 contacts um, for these pro-ERA candidates and specifically senators. Um, and there's a lot you can do to advocate for them. And a lot you can do in the digital space, um, whether that be like directly phone banking for that person or text banking, but you can also work to... Um, Register voters and have people request absentee ballots uh, because we know this election is going to be everything is working against um, the pro era candidates in <laughs> this election and getting people out to vote. Um, and also, just attending our digital events and educating yourself is super important on the Equal Rights Amendment and educating yourself just on the different gender inequities that exist in our country today um because there are way more than you would ever think (laughs) Um, and it is so prevalent in really every aspect of our life Um, and generation ratify has digital events all the time Um, some that are related to gender equality and like advocacy and some that are really action-based and some that are totally not about that at all and just more fun events or are educational in different ways so i definitely just recommend heading over to generationratify.org and seeing all the different ways to take action.
0: Here's some information for how to get connected with Generation Ratify, whether it's online or sign sign up to become a ratifier.
1: We have our website, generationratify.org. We also have our Instagram, at Generation Ratify. And we have a Twitter and TikTok with the handle at GenRatify, so just G-E-N-Ratify. On any of those platforms, you can totally go and follow us feel free to DM us, um, and we are active on all of those platforms. Um, And I definitely encourage you, if you ever have a question, you can go to our website, and we have the emails of all of our directors. But also, DM is totally awesome. We try to make communication as accessible as possible because we are young people, and we do communicate over, like, Insta DM. So if you ever have a question, don't hesitate to just DM
0: our Instagram account. Thank you so, so much. Of course. Thank you. Thank you once again to our amazing speaker, Rosie Couture, and definitely get involved with Generation Ratify. They're doing some amazing things. All right, that's it. Now, I hope you liked listening to this episode and learned something. Because if you liked this podcast, you would really appreciate monthly donations. It helps us get new equipment and improve our overall episodes. Every penny counts. We have people who are donating $1 a month, and it's making a big difference. Another way to help us out is writing us a review. Almost every streaming platform that we are on allows you to review our podcast, and we really need to get the word out there. Also, please, please, please share this podcast with one person. If you all continue to share, we will be more well-known. The last and most novel thing you can do to help us out is buy some of our merchandise. We recently, we recently, sorry, launched merch with Boomer on it, our lizard. A good portion of the profits go to us and we appreciate every purchase. Join us on Thursday for an episode about Greta Thunberg because why not? If you have any questions, you can send us voice messages on our website. Go follow us on our socials at QuarantinePod everywhere. Regardless of where you are, it's QuarantinePod. And that's also our website, QuarantinePod.com. Thank you. And I almost forgot, one other thing that you can do to get in contact with us is you can call or text us at 720-767-0213. All right, back to the outro. Uh, We are also on the Wix app, and you can see any updates there as well. Thank you so much for listening and join us on Thursday. A special thanks to Knockback and Anchor for sponsoring the podcast, and Wix for the amazing website creation tools. Also, thank you to our many streaming platforms. I recently distributed quarantine to lots, so here we go. Acast, All Top, Apple Podcasts, Audio Burst, Anchor, Breaker, Bullhorn, CastBox, Deezer, FID, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Podcast Land, Podcast Republic, Podchaser, Radio Public, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Have a great day.